The last time you guys heard from us was on March 10th when we released an episode in celebration of International Women's Day. It's been nearly a month since then, and as you and I both know, the world has changed because of COVID-19. This pandemic has turned all of our lives upside down. There are now over 1 million coronavirus cases. People have lost loved ones. Businesses have shut down and so many people have lost their jobs. But in this madness and time of uncertainty, there are pockets of hope. Here at Sincerely Human, our mission to share stories of kindness in action proves to be more important than ever. While it may be buried in the headlines on most days, acts of kindness, humanity, and compassion, they're everywhere. And you'll continue to hear them on our show. For today's brand new episode, we're featuring CORE, which stands for Community Organized Relief Effort, a nonprofit organization founded by actor Sean Penn. We recorded this episode with their CEO, Ann Lee, back in February, before the quarantine was announced. Last week, we got in touch with CORE's team to ask about how they're addressing the impacts of COVID-19. Before we get on with the show, here's a message from CORE. During the COVID-19 pandemic, CORE is focusing efforts on providing access to critical resources for communities where the intersection of poverty and geography pose the greatest risk, especially for those with limited mobility and pre-existing conditions. CORE is working to provide vulnerable communities with access to household items, hygiene kits, and food during these times where access is critical and resources are limited. Additionally, CORE is working closely with the Office of Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti and the Los Angeles Fire Department to provide free drive-through testing for high-risk individuals. To donate, sign up to volunteer, and get information about testing, please visit coreresponse.org slash COVID-19. It's scary to be kind, right? Because... To be kind, you have to really feel what other people are feeling. And that's scary. And especially for somebody like for us who constantly are at the, I guess, the front lines of seeing that and seeing the suffering and seeing the injustice. Like, I think there's an inclination to kind of close ourselves off because it's overwhelming. And so like, you know, the idea of opening yourself up and being empathetic is, it takes a lot of bravery, in my opinion. There are a lot of scary things going on right now. And sometimes these fears we have can turn into frustration or anger. The key thing, though, is to try and not let these negative feelings consume us, but instead channel and turn them to do good by ourselves and the people around us. It's so much of what fuels us, right? So it's this like very difficult balance between like, feeling so much and at the same time of being like strong enough to feel so much when you see people in real life that you know that are suffering like how do you not do something this is the story of Ann Lee CEO of CORE This is Camille. And this is Maverick. And this is Sincerely Human, a podcast that tells stories of kindness in action 
from the lens of today's most inspiring humans. My mom always had a round of strangers living with us. She would take in all kinds of people for as long as they needed. And I think that there was just a sense of, you know, because we have more than other people, we need to do something to help other people. Anne grew up in Los Angeles, in a traditional immigrant household. For those of you who are not familiar, it's not unusual for immigrant parents to work multiple jobs to make ends meet, or for extended families to live under the same roof. Being with you know, a family of new immigrants who didn't speak the language very well in a predominantly white neighborhood. It was really difficult. I remember being a kid and being so angry all the time because, you know, just seeing sort of, you know, the insults and sort of the disdain and and kind of negativity towards new immigrants was just, even as a kid, you recognize it. So I know that I grew up with not just You know, it sounds really good to say like, oh, I have an ethos of like helping other people. There's like anger fundamentally below that, (laughs) which is like, you know, the sense of injustice that, you know, when I see and when I feel that there's something that's not fair or that, you know, people are being preyed upon or what have you. It really, that is, I think, the biggest driving force for me to do work. Anne studied cultural anthropology and initially had dreams to become a lawyer. She thought it would be the ideal place to fight injustice. When she started working in a law firm, however, she became disillusioned. And it really sort of sparked when 9-11 hit because our offices were in um, Soho. And that day, I remember just hearing all of the sirens and looking straight down 2nd Avenue where I lived and watching one of the towers go down. And that was sort of the big moment, the watershed moment where, you know, a lot of things changed. Anne quit her job. I decided I wanted to understand sort of why these things happened and, you know, what we could have done to prevent it. And that sort of led me on this path that took me to international development. And again, it's like, you know, you have an idea of where you want to go and what drives you, but sometimes the road isn't that clear, right? And it's sort of just this iterative process where you're like, okay, this way, I know what I don't want. And you kind of then veer towards these things that kind of resonate with you. Anne ended up working at the UN in Kosovo for a summer. I mean, for me, that was it. That's when I understood like this, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to support people who don't have an opportunity to help themselves and address these issues of inequality and war and injustice in the world. Eventually, around 2006, Anne moved to Haiti for work. Our organization won a grant of about $150 million. Yeah, it was huge. And, you know, I had never worked long-term in a place like Haiti ever But I went down, you know, totally green. I spoke the language. I had done a thesis on sort of the conflict in Haiti previous to that. So I was kind of, you know, theoretically well-placed to go there. But being there was, you know, obviously so different. You know, everything that I had in my mind going down there of like, oh, this is right. This is wrong. We shouldn't do this. We shouldn't do that. I mean, it just, everything changes. The reality of, you know, doing development programs or working in countries like Haiti, it, there's no roadmap. 
you really have to be flexible and sort of that line between what you thought was right and wrong shifts. Back in 2006, there was a lot of insecurity, kidnappings, and violence on the streets of Haiti. But with the help of institutions like the UN, the country found itself relatively stable. And it was like this renaissance. It was like this feeling of hope. And we had like incredible nightlife and just this sense of like, you know, anything can happen here. And, you know, businesses were coming in and all kinds of really good stuff was happening. But on January 12th, 2010, a catastrophic earthquake hit Haiti. In a matter of 35 seconds, 250,000 lives were lost. I was not physically in Haiti that day of the earthquake. I was supposed to go back to Haiti on the 8th, and this is why I feel like, you know, there's things out of our control that happen, right? Um, I was supposed to be back four days before the earthquake, but I had broken my coccyx snowboarding because I thought I was way better snowboarding than I remembered and um, extended my stay. So part of our office was destroyed. My home was destroyed when we lost a lot of colleagues and friends and and family um, in that moment. Anne tried to go back to Haiti. You know, at the time when the earthquake hit, I was head of office for Port-au-Prince, the main capital office, doing a large number of programs with all the municipal, all the mayors in Port-au-Prince. And of course, my first reaction was, I have no idea how my staff is. You know, I'm responsible for them, to them, and to the communities that we're working with. I have no idea who made it and who didn't. And not being there every day was very painful. Anne's mom didn't want her daughter to go back to Haiti, but Anne knew that this was her calling and she had to do what she could to be on the ground. And it was surreal, you know, just landing into the airport, driving to the airport to our office was, you know, here's this bustling city that I remember and I could not even recognize where I was, you know, with the rubble, the just amount of people that just, looked so shell-shocked wandering around. I remember this so clearly, you know, it just felt like you could just like feel this like oppressive, almost like weeping that you just heard everywhere and you felt it, you know, Um, just looking around and people were still trying to pull family members and friends from out of the rubble. A lot of the government, as well as the traditional aid workers like the UN, they lost a lot of people too. So they were not able to respond quickly, um, as you would imagine. While everyone was still trying to make sense of what happened, Anne knew they needed to start organizing. They had to provide support to Haitians and help them rebuild their communities. In moments of devastation, destruction, and grief, there are individuals who sometimes find themselves doing things out of the ordinary. There was this golf course in Port-au-Prince where, you know, you have all this green space, open green space in like a very dense urban area. And so the people who lost their homes and were too afraid to go back home basically set up camp there. So you had initially like 15,000 people. I mean, it eventually grew into 60,000 people at the end of like the three, four years that um, Sean was managing this camp. I mean, it was basically a mini city. Anne is talking about Academy Award-winning actor Sean Penn. 
I guess the place to start's probably January 12, 2010. Well, I had been single parenting my son for about eight months after the divorce from my kid's mother. In that time period, he had a terrible skateboard accident and had to have emergency brain surgery. And then afterwards, he was in enormous pain when they put morphine in him and I saw him get relief. That had sort of been locked in my head. Now he had a, a really extraordinarily fast recovery. And by that time, his mother had found a place and wanted to spend some time with him. So I found myself for the first time in all 20 years uh, without um, kids in the house or a wife. And I was uh, alone, single in the world. I can turn the television on in the middle of the day and nobody's gonna gripe at me. When I turned it on and it was the Haiti earthquake and uh, it just happened. So Sean was there and he was basically causing a lot of controversy because <laughs> he's such a big personality, he's very visible, and at the same time, he was calling people out. You know, usually in the space, we're careful about like not being too controversial because you're gonna, you end up working with the same people, you know, in other disasters. But I think him sort of being an outsider was a huge asset because he came in and said, this doesn't make sense. You know, we need to organize. It needs to be, you know, he was thinking like a producer, <laughs> like, you know, we need to organize, have coordination. We need like a chain of command, which he really instilled. And that camp basically was turned over to him to manage because nobody could manage it any better than he could. So it wasn't even because he was making the most noise. It was because he was actually organizing things more so than any other very well-established organization. The U.S. government asked Dan to sit down with Sean Penn and his team to see how they could share resources and work together. So we sat down with them and, you know, I was constantly looking at my watch. I wasn't sitting down. I was pacing around like, I don't have time because I just assumed like so many people that we had seen already, like, you know, this person came in for two days, took photos and left. And he's just coming in, wants to take photos and he's going to leave. Anne wanted to brush it off, but her boss at the time wanted to work together with Sean. It was really pulling teeth because I just did not have faith in him. I had a lot of reservations. But I have to say, when I came to the camp with the team and the equipment and met with his team, there was just so much. I mean, he's like one of the smartest people I know in that he knows what he knows and he knows what he doesn't know. And he's smart enough to surround himself with people who know better than he does in certain things, but is also smart enough to kind of not just take anybody's answer or thoughts as like, oh yeah, that's right, but we'll question it and kind of look at things in a different perspective. Soon enough, Sean earned Anne's respect. And in late 2015, Anne joined CORE, which was formerly known as JP Haitian Relief Organization. So we look at this entire ecology of disasters as one piece of basically this really negative cycle, right? Our logo is like this infinity sign, right? Because we think that all these things are feeding into each other. So when a disaster hits, it's not the disaster that's causing all these problems and these terrible things to happen. It's all these existing problems that were there before. And if you have an earthquake or a hurricane or a fire, it just 
reveals the long-term disaster that's been happening. And unless we start thinking about immediately emergency response, not just dropping down stuff like, here's a bunch of supplies, good luck. Like if we don't do it in a smart way that is actually looking at those underlying problems, then we could be actually making things worse. We look at disasters in that way, that they're just uncovering a problem and that for us to have an effect on the next disaster, that we need to take advantage of that time after a disaster to really, really put in those seeds to strengthen communities, the poorest, right? Usually people of color, usually, you know, for a long time, suffering a lot of social inequality or what have you. Focus in those areas to strengthen them as much as possible and focus on preparedness because a disaster is just a moment you know, before the next disaster. So if you can strengthen them, then the next disaster will have less of an impact on that very vulnerable community. CORE has developed a holistic approach that is not only reactive, but also proactive. They run life-saving programs around youth development and education, women's entrepreneurship, reforestation and climate resilience, and community health, to name a few. Since it was founded in 2010, Course programs have expanded to Puerto Rico, across the Caribbean, and to the U.S. Gulf states. Here's Sean Penn at their 10th anniversary gala, talking about how donations serve as our own boots on the ground, where disasters happen. When the next disaster strikes, you might be in a place, a living room perhaps, maybe playing with your children. And... You might turn on the television and see people in great anguish. And I'd like that when you see core on the ground, that you feel your feet in those boots. So that's what we're asking of you tonight. As you mentioned at the top of this episode, CORE is now focusing its efforts on fighting the COVID-19 pandemic. When we listen to the news and see updates on the crisis we're all in, it's easy to feel defeated, but we shouldn't. Here, Anne shares why they haven't stopped doing what they can to help. I think there's a little bit of like just idiotic tenaciousness and like blind (laughs) stubbornness that goes into that. But I also do think it's like, you know, the sense of faith in people. Like I have never seen so much good in any situation than after a disaster. That's where you see the most amazing miracles of like what people can do for each other. And that's, I think, what keeps us going. If you want to learn more about CORE, you can head on over to coreresponse.org. The link is in our show notes. Thank you all for tuning in this week. Before we go, please do us a quick favor. If you like our podcast, we urge you to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help others discover our show. Join us in spreading stories of kindness to as many people as possible. Finally, we all hope you and your families are staying safe and healthy during this time. We'll have a new episode next week, so we hope to catch you again. Remember, be good to one another.